Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Kirsten Ferguson, who is Australia's most prominent leadership expert. Uh, she was an officer in the Royal Australian Air Force. She was the CEO of an international consulting firm. And then she was appointed as acting chair and deputy chair of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, she's a weekly columnist in the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age. She holds a PhD in leadership and is probably one of the few authors that has done incredible work around safety governance, which we're going to touch on in that regard very soon, and, and some elements around expectations for the top management team. She's also an adjunct professor at QUT Business School. So, Kirsten, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you with me. Thank you, Eric. I'm excited to be here. So uh, you're just about to launch a book, Head and Heart. Uh, I'd love to start out by, by hearing a little bit about what does, um, you talk about a series of moments. Uh, what does that mean from a leadership standpoint? Yeah, that's a really great question. I'm conscious there's going to be a lot of health and safety professionals mm -hmm. listening today. And, you know, you guys know better than most those moments where you notice someone, you know, doing the right thing and going and acknowledging right. that and saying, you know, thanks for keeping people safe. There's also those moments, though, when we witness uh, leadership where it's not particularly helpful and there's a shame and blame culture. So I guess for me, I really believe that leadership is simply a series of moments and every moment mm -hmm. offers us this opportunity for us to leave a positive legacy in our wake. And I right. think... Um, so often life is moving so quickly, we're in a digital age, we can have unintended impacts very easily, uh, but we need to be conscious that every single moment is an opportunity to leave a positive or sometimes a negative legacy in our wake. And it can impact, that's how what builds cultures, that's what Absolutely. drives safety cultures as well. And so another topic you touch on in your book is around the concept of, of a modern leader and the difference between a modern leader and a not modern leader, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Antiquated. I don't, I don't think that's well, those are the words you use. But. <laughs> I, I know. Well, dinosaurs and dickheads are sort of somewhat <laughs> in the traditional leader bucket. And apologies for the language. You'll have to have a language warning now. But I think everyone knows the kind of traditional leaders that mm -hmm. really object to uh, working from home or workplace flexibility. They, they like to stick with the way things have always been done. Modern leaders, though, are the kind of leaders I think new generations and also most others are wanting around them. And for me, uh, the art of modern leadership, which is what this book is about, is about being able to lead with the head and the heart. And I mean, that's a mm -hmm. metaphor we're all very familiar with. Right. But I wanted to go and actually understand what attributes we need as leaders through leading with the head and the heart. And it's all about balance. And I think for safety professionals, this is particularly relevant because uh, as safety leaders, we know that you know the head 
side of things is all of our compliance metrics and lead and lag indicators and all of those uh, capabilities we have as professionals. But without leading with the heart and actually having empathy for how people within your organisations are actually grappling with the jobs that they're doing, having that humility that perhaps we don't really know as much as we might think we know, the self-awareness of the impact our, our policies are having on others, then we can't truly be the modern safety professionals that we need. And so I think leading with the head and the heart is such an opportunity for the safety world to really capture uh, ways of leading that still ensure high performance, high quality, high safety, but also bring everyone along the journey. And I love that metaphor. I think it's very simple to understand and really sends a very strong message. And, and you've broken it down into four attributes for both the head and the heart. Is it worthwhile maybe getting into some some of those attributes yeah. uh, and, and maybe some circumstances where it would be beneficial to lead from, from the head? Oh, absolutely. And the art is knowing what's needed and when. <laughs> right. And I should say for every listener, if you go to headheartleader.com, you can measure your own head and heart leadership. You'll get a, it's all free and you'll get a personalized mm. report. And I built that tool with one of the universities here in Australia, because I think it's important to be able to self-assess where you sit now. And a lot of people are very surprised because Eric, I'd ask you, do you, would you say intuitively you're more of a head or a heart face leader? Intuitively, I would actually say probably more heart Uh, and then head still matters and probably historically more head, but more recently more heart. Which is good to know. And of course, you realize though, you need both. You can't have one or the other and in any situation. But I'd love you to go online as along with your listeners and you can see whether or not you actually self-assess as a heart. Because most people find they're surprised. But the attributes of leading with our head, and I won't go into all of them in detail, but they're curiosity, wisdom, which is about really weighing up um, decisions in the face of very little information, weighing up risk and reward, perspective, which is about reading the room and capability. And I think for the safety profession, curiosity is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I think in so many situations, uh, we may think we know the best safety outcome in any given task or role, but perhaps we're not curious enough just to find out why that hasn't been implemented or why it's not being successful or taken up by those on the ground. And that curiosity is around um, accepting that and acknowledging we actually don't know everything. And so we're always seeking to learn and challenging our own assumptions as well. And then the second uh, of the head-based attributes I think are most relevant for the safety profession is one I've called perspective. And that's about really in layman's terms, reading the room and understanding the environment you're leading in and also noticing who's missing from the room and what's going on Mm. outside of the room and really being conscious of your environment or the context that you're operating in and that you're trying to drive change in and trying to see a few steps ahead and the implications of your decisions. So those kinds of things, I think, in the safety profession are incredibly important, obviously, Mm -hmm. but so too is leading with the heart. 
And the okay. four attributes of leading with the heart are humility, self-awareness, courage to speak up in the face of pressure often not to do so, and empathy. And I think courage is a particularly important skill for safety professionals because often, mm. you know, you do need to speak up in the face of pressures around um, productivity or uh, profit or whatever it might be that's driving a contrary safety outcome. And it can be difficult to do so. You could have a whole yeah. heap of line managers saying, actually, that's not, you know, our biggest priority. Whereas we know as safety professionals, it needs to be if we truly want to keep everyone mm -hmm. safe. So I think modern leaders understand that we still need to make decisions that are the right thing to do, even in the face of pressure from others not to do so. And leading with courage means you create psychologically safe cultures where everyone else feels able to speak up and, and uh, have courage as well. Uh, and then the only other, the other attribute of the heart that I just wanted to call out is around self-awareness. And I have noticed in my experience as a board director and in all the work I've done with the safety profession, it can be easy to fall into a bubble that, uh, you know, the work we're doing is the most important thing in the organisation and right. that, of course, we should be spending whatever we need to on keeping people safe. And um, in theory, everyone will agree with that. But I think having self-awareness into what's going on around you and then how you're responding to that and your awareness of the impact your actions and leadership and behaviour is having on, on those you work with, I think is incredibly um, relevant. And self-awareness is also about knowing your limitations and, and working on sure. those as well. And is this something where you flex depending on the circumstances? You may lead more from the head, more from the heart. Absolutely. And this is what the art, the art of modern leadership is knowing what's needed and when. And there will be some situations where uh, you go in to write a policy or implement sure. a policy or something that's going to use all your capabilities. There's a lot of head-based uh, work there. However, it's never done in isolation. You've also got to have some understanding, empathy for the people that have mm -hmm. to uh, actually live this policy. And the other thing to be aware of is even when you think you're in a meeting that's very head-based, and of course, this is just a metaphor, but it can easily turn. You can easily realise that actually what I thought was going to happen hasn't happened and it's now becoming quite a difficult conversation and I need to really draw on my humility to mm. understand and listen, my curiosity and also my self-awareness of how I'm being triggered right now, how I'm responding. So it's that art that is impossible to put in a box and say here it is um, but that each of us learn and develop as leaders. Interesting. Uh, in, is this something that people can learn skills? Absolutely. Typically, the, the head skills tend to be perceived as taught skills in some cases. But is it really true? Right? Is the, we talk about emotional intelligence as an example. That's also something that you can learn and flex. All of the skills, these eight attributes that I talk about can be learned, mm -hmm. but they're not in a textbook learned way sure. they're in experiential way and by being willing to learn and have a growth mindset and all of those sorts of things i think the intellectual learning we do is probably the easier part of being a leader because you can actually open a book and and study it and with practice right. um 
all of these attributes are capable of being learned. Empathy can be learned. You can put yourself mm -hmm. into situations where you're really using that empathy muscle and that's going to help you lead with empathy. It's also important to remember that it doesn't matter what your position title is. It doesn't matter what your business card might say. We are all leading. And yeah. this is appropriate for everyone because we're leading in our families, we lead in our communities, we're leading in our organisations. And even if you're listening and you're a safety supervisor or mm. a, a safety team member with no, you know, in the org chart, you might not be sitting at the sure. top, you're still leading. You're still in Hugely. the decisions you make, those moments, every mm -hmm. impact you have, you are leading. And I think that's something we need to remind the people we lead for those listening who are at the top of the org chart. If you went and asked everyone in your team, you know, do they actually understand that they too are leaders? In the safety arena, I think it's so essential because you're really trying to influence somebody's choice when nobody's watching. And that whole influence space is, is leadership. That whole, you know, what are they doing when no one's there and, right. and, and the idea of the way we do things around here, which obviously in the safety world we talk about a lot, that is personal leadership by that person at 2 a.m. in the morning of whether or not they choose to put their hard hat on or use three points of contact or uh, shortcut uh, a way to do something so that uh, they avoid you know, doing it safely. That is them leading and that is a moment and that is a true moment mm -hmm. where it is either going to end in disaster or it's going to show that this is the culture we have in our organisation. Mm -hmm. And so those moments apply regardless of who you are. Um, but I think in the safety profession, it's those moments you're chasing. That's kind of the, the job is chasing mm -hmm. those moments and hoping <laughs> that in that moment and in the moment you are leading, um, that the right choice is made. Absolutely. So in your book, you also talk about emotional self-awareness. And can you tell me a little bit more about what that means for the modern leader and why it's so critical? Well, I'll give you an example. I was in a meeting um, the other, well, maybe a month ago, and I had thought the meeting was going to go one way, and in fact, a quite positive way for me. <laughs> and then within <laughs> a few minutes, I'm like, okay, this isn't where I was going. And I, and in fact, it ended up being the absolute opposite. So I'd completely misjudged what, what I thought the meeting was going to be and how it would end. But what I was aware of within moments was those triggers we all have, you know, that um, feeling. For me, it was I could that flash of sort of adrenaline, um, you've been mm. tight chested, you're feeling a bit hot, you're <laughs> thinking, oh, hang on, what's going on? A bit of uh, fight or flight. And because I was aware of that, I was then really conscious because it was an important relationship with this person um, uh, that I needed to manage you know, myself. And that is emotional self-awareness. It's being aware of what uh, Daniel Goleman, the father of emotional intelligence, calls an amygdala hijack. You know, being aware that right now it's actually really important I stay present and I stay conscious of what I'm talking about because my body is reacting to the fact that this meeting isn't what I wanted and I'm and whatever feelings trigger for you so it could be embarrassment or shame or anger or whatever it is um, mm -hmm. we all have it and we all have those moments and so that is emotional self-awareness and I think it's having that insight into knowing 
what kinds of things are going to trigger you and then being really present um, and being aware of what's happening so that you can have a really productive meeting, even though the outcome might not be what you want. I always think about, remember the Oscars last year and Will Smith jumped on stage. <laughs> yes. Now that is mm-hmm. a classic example of an amygdala hijack. And unfortunately for him, it was done in front of millions, hundreds <laughs> of millions of people. Yeah. We all want to try and avoid those. And that's why uh, emotional self awareness is so important and how can you develop that Um, because part of it is recognizing the signs like you at least that's the way i see it is you recognize the signs where something doesn't feel the way you do just like you would have a trigger before you respond the wrong way Mm. well sometimes it's hard you know and Mm. you miss it i mean i would have had more meetings where i've missed it than i have (laughs) caught it and i think i'm pretty normal in that respect Uh, So there's a bit of trial and error. Uh, Feedback. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a real believer in feedback. And in the book, uh, there's a lot of time spent on how to have really effective feedback conversations and how to give feedback and receive feedback. Because Mm -hmm. we're um, unfortunately not very self-aware. There's some statistics uh, from some research that I quote where um, 97% of us something think we're pretty self-aware. Like, you know, most of us, we're like, yeah, I know. I know what's going on. Only 10 to 15% of those we lead agree. Now, that is terrifying, Eric. I know. I can see your face. Listeners, you can't see Eric's face. (laughs) But his face is how mine was when I read that statistic. And that is why feedback is so important because Mm. self-awareness is hard to assess. We can sort of look for the signs. We can learn to look for the signs. But if you can develop really good relationships with those around you who are prepared to give you helpful feedback that um, lets you know what's going on and what others are observing, that's going to really help build that skill. This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. Excellent. And your book, Head and Heart, uh, is already debuting uh, in Australia's bestseller list. Uh, Thinkers 50 is already identified as the top 10 new management book of 2023. And you've been nicknamed Australia's Brené Brown. <laughs> Uh, so it's so quite quite impressive as a resume. <laughs> oh, look, it's been a whirlwind. But, um, you know, safety is where I started. That's how you mm-hmm. and I came to know each other, Eric. And um, I, I love the work that I'm doing now, but I've still got a very soft spot for the health and safety <laughs> profession. So if, if I may, I'd love to touch on one of the topics that was key before this book was key to your PhD was really around safety governance and you've authored some of the most, most, uh, most relevant pieces of work in this space. I think the, the importance of the top management team, the importance of governance, so critical. And a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of organizations don't do that well. What are some of the key attributes that make for good governance from your perspective? 
Yeah, and I can answer this from both, obviously, the PhD research I did, which specifically looked at the role of boards and senior executives in safety governance and safety leadership, but also having been a director now, sitting on public boards, private boards, government boards for about 15 years, I think... You know, as much as the PhD took 100,000 words to say it, I actually think I can now narrow it down to one sentence, which is really role modelling what it means to be um, uh, someone who believes in the vision of keeping everyone safe. And that role modelling idea means setting a vision for what it, you know, sure. what what it looks like in that organization and then holding people to account for that, but not in a blame way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a true believer that if you get safety right, everything else follows, you know, that means um, you tend to get quality levels higher, you get lower absenteeism, you get a higher overall uh, operational excellence. And so safety is such an important gauge of, Uh, how an organisation is performing. And if a board gets that, and frankly, not all boards do get that. Mm. I think many boards see safety as a cost of doing business as opposed to this wonderful opportunity to uh, (laughs) excel in business. But if you have boards that get it, um, the conversations I've noticed are much different. Um, You know, they're much more high quality. They're more mature around how can we really now take it to the next level as opposed to looking at lag indicators and what happened last month and, you know, and focusing on slips, trips and falls when there's these enormous hazards right in front of their face that they're not spending time on. So I think, you know, most people listening would probably know those kinds of leaders who get it and don't get it. Um, it's hard if you're on working with a board or an executive team where no one gets it. I don't know that that will then change unless something dreadful happens and there's a real burning platform that means they have to change. Um, if you have even one board director, and I've been in this experience right. where they are passionate and they get it, that can help drive different questions, different kinds sure. of reporting, different quality of conversation. But, um, you know, I, I, we talked before we started recording about how in Australia and the UK, there's particularly stringent laws that govern health and safety. And that uh, was implemented about a decade ago and it's really driven a change in culture by our boards and their focus on health and safety. It's sad that that had to do it, that had to be it. Why? Should have been yes. enough on its own. But it has led to an incredibly mature conversation in those two countries about health and safety. Usually jail, the risk of jail time yeah. will, will drive. It's a, good, it's a pretty good deterrent. It does its it job. Is. It does do its job. And as we were sharing before, and there's there's occasional examples of CEOs that have lost the job specifically because of numerous fatalities, a series of fatalities have occurred. And that also sends a message uh, to others to say, maybe I do need to care about this as well. I mean, don't you think though, Eric, like I find it really depressing that it takes someone going to jail because clearly a life has been lost or a serious oh, yeah. injury for someone to go, oh, maybe I do need to uh, to pay attention. I mean, <laughs> ideally, you would have people going, I don't want that person to lose their life <laughs> regardless. Uh, what can I do to make sure that never happens? 
But, but sometimes I believe it has a disconnect because if you're on a board and you've never actually been yes. on a shop floor in a mining environment, a high risk, high hazard environment, if you become an accountant, you become a lawyer, you're, normally on, you're not exposed to people dying on your watch and it's not the same. It's theoretical. It's not real. Yeah. And that's a really important point. And I think for the health and safety profession, bringing to life, you know, when I talked earlier about perspective and reading the room, Mm -hmm. if you're presenting to a board about a hazard that you need to communicate, and some of those board members have never, you know, been on a site or understand it, you really need to read that room and understand how you can best influence the decision. And I know I was on one board years and years ago and the poor health and safety professional kept bringing papers to say, you know, here's this hazardous um, task that's being done and we needed an investment. And I, the board just didn't grasp when no one had done that role. They didn't really understand. I didn't understand. I knew that I was listening to the person, but I couldn't picture it. The next meeting they brought along a video of the person doing the task and the whole meeting was like oh my god you know really we ask someone to do that how that's got to stop uh you know how much money do you need so i think um health and safety people really need to think of put themselves in the shoes of others and that's the attribute Mm -hmm. of empathy and think okay if if that director is an accountant uh out of new york and they've never been in a mine site before how can i best communicate to them what i need and i've seen in some instances organizations bring the board to to a mine site or bring the board to a high hazard environment to, so that you start, you, you start with a tour, you visit, you experience what it means. Best practice. Absolutely. Site visits are a no-brainer and that should be part of every board understanding the organisation they're governing. Um, I think there's uh, all the site visits I've ever done in my life they can be uh, quite structured and, you know, the, they're called wedding parties, you know, you're sort of taken along and you're meeting everyone and every, it's all clean and perfect and you're not going to observe that really hazardous event. Correct. So um, they're important to do, but the more natural you can keep them, the better. Yeah, I would agree. When you roll up the red carpet and everything's yeah. perfect, you're not getting a real experience. I've heard some even where it's less structured, they're allowing more variability. Obviously, there's still some protection around where you want the board members to go, um, but where it's more freed and maybe it's a ride along with somebody. Um, even better is not mm-hmm. the whole board going. You pair right. off and it's it's not a, you know, eight, ten people all going on a tour, but you're in pairs with another director and, and you're given a specific, thing to think about or look at and people can't help but answer questions if they're given questions and probably the best uh, site visits I've ever been part of where uh, I was with another director so it's good to have someone else because you'll have different skills and different things you can Mm -hmm. talk about but there's only two of you so if you are talking with someone on the shop floor they're not feeling overwhelmed like that there's 10 big bosses and there's something in the back of my mind we've been asked to think about now it could be as simple as housekeeping but it could be more complex on how open do you find the people that you are speaking with um, answering your questions you know how willing are they to tell you what keeps them up at night even that is a cultural touchstone that you can then come back Mm -hmm. and go actually I found it no one would tell me (laughs) well you know or I got a really rote answer that was pretty 
benign, that tells you something because there will be issues keeping them up at night. How are we creating a safe enough environment they can speak up? And so we shared a couple of examples just there of, of influencing the board in terms of what areas to look at. So we talked about um, listening to us or going to a site, visiting, listening, what's happening. We talked about the videos, which I think are a great, great way of depicting what, what the challenge is. What are some of the other ways that an organization can influence the board, maybe open up the view you talked about? Uh, or boards sometimes will go focus on an injury rate as opposed to looking at serious injury, serious injuries and fatality risk. And that's a shift in mindset even. So, so have you had some successes where people influence the board? Yeah, I think I've worked with a whole range of health and safety professionals. The best are those that are, have a strategic mindset. So sure. what I mean by that is they're not looking at coming to the board as a monthly job they have to do to report their paper and stats and take questions and then leave again. They will be thinking about what's going on in the business more broadly. There might be a merger and acquisition going on. There might be a divestment that's happening. There might be whatever that's going on in the organisation um, or share prices fallen through the floor and there's a lot of distraction and they actually link what's going on more broadly, because you know the board will have been talking about that, to how it's impacting what they're seeing on the ground. And stats, uh, statistics and data are all very interesting, but without giving a story and, and being great storytellers about what it means in practice, I think you can lose people along the way. And so I would encourage anyone listening to think of themselves as the thought leader, the strategic expert in that organisation around how health and safety can drive operational excellence, sure. what it is around um, that merger and acquisition that's happening that's distracting people. Why is it that you're noticing some impact on the shop floor because people are worried for their jobs or whatever it might be? So I do think it's about thinking of yourself as a strategic storyteller. There you go. I've just come up with that on mm -hmm. the spot, but in the health and safety space, because that is where you'll win hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I think your insights are, are really, really helpful, both in terms of the leadership elements, as well as some of the elements on the governance side. Definitely encourage readers to do the self-assessment. We'll put the the link in the show notes, pick up head and heart as it gets launched. Uh, and, and thank you so much. 5th of September. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait to um, have everyone in North America get a copy and I'd love to hear from anyone. I'd love to hear how you apply it in your uh, environment. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Elevate your safety. Like every successful athlete, top leaders continuously invest in their safety leadership with an expert coach to boost safety performance. Begin your journey at execsafetycoach.com. Come back in two weeks for the next episode with your host, Eric Makrowski. This podcast is powered by Propolo Consulting.